Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So the reading is on page 1141 of your Bible in the pew. And uh, it's from Romans chapter 15, beginning to read at verse 14. Page 1141. Paul, the minister to the Gentiles. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. I have written to you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. So, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So, After I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, 
and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as we stay uh, standing, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, in many ways, uh, what we've sung is easy to sing, at least if we don't have our minds engaged. It's very difficult to really live it. And so we'd ask you to take a hold of our lives now uh, and to motivate us by the one thing that will motivate us, your love in the gospel. And we pray that as that grabs us, uh, we would really be those who uh, are giving our all for Jesus. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Please do sit down. Well, let me encourage you uh, to do two things. One would be to turn back in your Bibles uh, to Romans chapter 15. Page 1142 is the page number uh, that we'll need, the uh, reading that uh, Paul read for us just a moment ago. And then the other thing, if you like these things, is a very simple outline uh, of where we're going. And uh, if you like to take notes, or at least if you like to know um, how many points, well, there's three, and you'll know when we've got to the third one and how much longer there is to go. Well, you won't actually know how much longer there is to go, but I can tell you it won't be long when we get to the third one. We've asked a couple of questions this morning. We're asking, uh, what, what would, should we look like as a church this, morning, uh, this evening? I want to ask this question, what are your ambitions? What do you want to do with the rest of your life? Uh, if you're still at school uh, or at college, at uni? Uh, what are your ambitions? I hope you have many. It's a thrilling and exciting time of life. I wish I could do it all over again. Your whole life stretching out ahead of you. Actually, if I did do it all again, I'd probably make all the same mistakes, but I'd still like to have a go. Uh, for those of you in your mid-twenties, into, into your thirties, early forties perhaps, are you still ambitious? I bet you are. Your life may already be on a set course. What are your ambitions for the years ahead? Are they bound up with career advancement and financial security? For those like me in your fifties, <laughs> into your sixties and retirement, you're still ambitious? I, I really hope you are. I, you know, still things to achieve. I do hope you haven't lost all your ambition. Now look, um, let me ask you now to hold on to those plans and ambitions in your mind. And as you do, let me ask you, if you're a Christian here this evening, are those ambitions and plans for the future any different to the plans and ambitions an unbeliever would have if they were sitting here and answering that question? Are they about career and property and love and finance and world travel and enjoying life? Are those the things that fill your horizon? And if that's all that came into your mind, Christian, does it bother you that those ambitions are no different from the desires of someone who lives without Christ? Look, our vision setting day is a day all about ambitions and plans. And it is a day that should make us think and unsettle us. It should be a day that challenges our priorities because the gospel does that. And certainly in studying uh, the book of Romans, and tonight Romans 15, does that for me. For here we discover Paul's ambition, which shaped his priorities and plans. The first point then on the handout, Paul's ambition. If Paul was sitting here in the congregation tonight and I could get him up to the front and interview him, it would be great fun, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you like to do that? I can't wait till I meet him in, in heaven. It's going to be fantastic. 
I think the interview would go something like this. I'd be a bit nervous, frankly. I'd be very nervous, but it would go something like this. I'd say, Paul, great to see you. Welcome to Christchurch Forward. We've been enjoying studying your letter to the Romans these last weeks, and, and so we're especially pleased you've been able to join us this evening. It's an honour. And after all that side of stuff, he'd have probably felt a bit embarrassed by it. I, I'd say, today we're thinking about ambition. So will you tell us, Paul, what are your ambitions? And Paul would say, verse 20. He says, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. That's it. That's what filled his horizon. Paul wanted people who didn't know about Christ to know him. That's what got him out of bed in the morning. That's what motivated Paul to keep going, even when he was exhausted. Even when he came up against opposition. Even when he hit brick walls. Paul was shipwrecked. He was flogged. He was beaten. He was thrown into jail again and again. Why did he keep going? He had this ambition. He wanted to preach Christ to those who didn't know him. And he wanted to do that because he knew the gospel. We've only just started this letter. Uh, we are going to try and get through it, most of it, by the, by the time Christmas arrives and then just into the new year as well. Uh, we've only read the first three chapters. If we'd read all of it, we wouldn't be at all surprised that this was Paul's ambition, that he states it like this at the end of the letter. This letter is, as John Stock calls it, the grandest statement of the gospel in the New Testament. It tells us the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we've understood that gospel, it changes us. No one who's really understood the gospel, no one who's really understood the gospel can remain unaffected by it. Grasp the gospel and you'll be a different person. Loads of you know that because you remember the first time you heard it and how it transformed your life. Now, we've not yet studied the whole book, but we've already seen enough for it to change us profoundly. In the first three chapters, we've heard that everyone, every man and woman and boy and girl who ever walked this planet has rebelled against God and is facing God's wrath. Everyone, everyone we meet, everyone is without out fail drifting to a lost eternity. Going to spend eternity in utter darkness. That is terrifying. And because everyone without fail, chapters 1, 2 and 3 of Romans, we've heard it again and again in the last few weeks, because everyone is under the wrath of God. There's no excuses. Do you remember last week? Because of that, there's only one solution. The gospel, the momentous news that Jesus Christ stepped into history, God in human flesh, walked planet earth, lived a perfect life, and by dying on the cross, took the punishment that we deserve. Dying on the cross, he took God's wrath upon himself so that we don't have to. It's the only answer. The gospel is a glorious rescue mission. And there is no other rescue available. Everybody you meet needs it. Or they're going to spend dark, in darkness forever when they die. I wonder if the name Tony Bullimore means anything to you. Some of you a bit older might just remember. He was a, a yachtsman, or is a yachtsman. He was most famous for an incident during the 1996 Vendee Globe single-handed around-the-world race. Ever heard of it? Well, it's a round-the-world race, so you can work it out. <laughs> His yacht capsized 
I think it was in the Indian Ocean. I was trying to research it during the week. Didn't have long. Didn't spend that long. I think it was the Indian Ocean. Capsized hundreds and hundreds of miles from land. He was going to die. But an Australian frigate set out on a rescue mission. It sailed full steam ahead for three days. Three days full steam ahead to reach him. No one else could rescue him. No one. He couldn't rescue himself. He was so far from anyone. He couldn't swim. He could do nothing. There was no one else around. There was only one way he could be saved. The Australian Navy. It's a picture of the plight of all human beings. And that's kind of what we've seen in the book of Romans. We are all under the wrath of God. We cannot save ourselves. You know, it's as if we're miles from land and we can't swim. No one else is going to come. There's no sort sort of other helicopter that's going to fly by. No one. No other way. But the one who can save us has gone to extraordinary lengths. Not three days full steam ahead but coming all the way from heaven to earth to rescue us by dying on a cross that's the glorious message of the gospel and we've been given the gospel message but it's been given to us not just to save us but for for us to tell others that they may be saved as well that's Paul's ambition look I, I wish I was as godly and as pure in my ambition as the apostle Paul That, of course, can be such a lame excuse for just not being godly. But I do wish I was more godly. But the truth be told, regularly I I take my eye off the ball. Verse 20 is not always true for me. That's why I need to meet here with you all, week in and week out, that we can spur each other on in this task. Here at Christchurch Forward, we've been given this charge that everyone in forward hear this message of the gospel that they may be saved. And as I've said already, our ambition is to go further for the city, that we plant more and more churches, that more and more people in this great city will hear the gospel. Now, I just did the sums with you. Ten churches over the next 20 years, they all become church planting churches. It would be an exciting thing, wouldn't it, within a generation or two to think, wow, Things have changed in this city. My ambition is when students come to Sheffield, they ask, are there any good churches in Sheffield? People laugh and say, are there any good churches? Dozens. I can't even name them all. There's so many good churches that are teaching the Bible. My ambition for this church and for this city. And our ambition is to see the gospel proclaimed to everyone who doesn't yet know it. It goes, goes further than just forward and this city extends to the nation and all over the world. It sounds big, but don't we believe in a big God? Why should we not aim big? So we're not only about planting churches, but about training leaders. We're about investing in people, not least of all through our trainee scheme, but in other ways too. We're working hard here to train leaders who will lead the churches we plant and run the growing work here. And we're training leaders to go from here to lead churches in other parts of the country and all over the world. In the next 10 years, one third of all the clergy in the Church of England will retire. And there aren't as many people coming forward for donation as there are people retiring. Now you can get really depressed about that or see the opportunity. That means that up and down this country, many churches won't have a minister to lead them. They just won't have them. And so as we encourage people from here into ordained Church of England ministry, 
They will be able to walk into churches that at the moment don't have faithful evangelical ministry because they'll want a minister. And they'll be able to start teaching the gospel. And so more churches all over this land will grow as the gospel is proclaimed. And in time, those churches we trust will become church planting churches where they are. Not to mention the mission partners we send from here all over the world to do the same thing. Just think of the Norgate family in Cambodia. They're there to plant churches. That's what they've gone to do. Cambodia. That's the ambition. Will you share it? Are you getting excited? I know many of you already do share it. It's brilliant. Will you share this ambition with Paul? When somebody asks you, what's your ambition in life? Can you start saying with me, verse 20, it's always been my ambition. Well, maybe we can't say it's always been because it hasn't. It is from now on my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known. Now look, if that's your ambition, it will change your plans and priorities, which is our second point. And verse 22. See, we saw in chapter one, if you were here a few weeks ago, that Paul wanted to go to Rome to encourage the Christians there. That was a really good desire. He wanted to go and encourage Christians to keep going in their Christian life. He wanted to build up and strengthen the church in Rome. But what is very striking here is that His ambition to preach the gospel to those who didn't know Christ stopped him from getting to Rome. Look what he says in verse 22. This is why, what he's just written, what he's just said, this is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. I've often been hindered from coming to you because I've been getting on with the other work of preaching the gospel to those who don't yet know him. See, that is what an overwhelming gospel ambition will do. It will mean that we are hindered from doing other things, even other good things. It will certainly override things that have little eternal value. And it will mean that I will prioritise the gospel over other worthy things, good things. Just not as important as this. Now, I reckon this is where the battleground is when it comes to having gospel ambitions that Paul has. I can imagine, I don't know, I can imagine hundreds of us here this evening saying, yes, yes, I want to share Paul's ambition. Yes, I know that there is no other way for men and women to be saved. I want to be involved in that. Yes, I do want to make it my ambition to preach the gospel to everyone who doesn't yet know it. Yes, I want to see Sheffield flooded with gospel churches. You're pumped up. And you really do, at the moment, want to be about this. I, you know, some of you are saying this right now. You're excited about this vision here. Want to be part of Christchurch Ford? Let's do it. Let's at least try and do it. Let's change the city. Influence the nation for Christ. I'll go. You're pumped. I'm pumped. But tomorrow morning and through the next week and in the months ahead, there'll be choices to make. You'll have them, I'll have them. I could give my time to this work, but, but I can't do everything. I could give my life to this work, but there's another career that would be more lucrative. I could give my money to this work, but I want to spend it on other things, a bigger house, an extension, a newer car, a luxurious holiday. I could be committed to a particular ministry of this church, but I want to be able to free, be free to go away at weekends. Do you see? It's all of that choice. None of those other things are necessarily bad. Not necessarily wrong. Some of them quite good. Very often the competing thing that is vying for your time or your money or your affection is not a bad thing. 
It would have been good for Paul to visit Rome. You see, that's where it becomes hard. But Paul's ambition, his priority, was the proclamation of the gospel. And so Paul's ambition shaped his plans and priorities. Finally, see how Paul expects, and this is quite a shock, his ambition, he expects his ambition to not only shape his plans and priorities, but to shape everyone else's too. That's the third point. Paul's ambition and plan shaping our actions. Who does Paul think he is? Look at verse 23. But now there's no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I've been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. I'm expecting you, people in Rome, who I've never met, to help me in the task that I have to go to Spain to preach the gospel to people who haven't yet heard it. See, he's been working tirelessly planting churches around the eastern Mediterranean world. Now he wants to go to Spain, to the western Mediterranean world, to continue to plant churches. And his plan is to stop in on Rome on the way. Yes, to meet the Christians in Rome, but to do more than that. You see it at the end of verse 24. He wants the church in Rome to assist him in his church planting work. It's a remarkable thing, isn't it? Paul expected the church in Rome. He never met them, ever. And he wanted them to have their plans shaped by his ambition. And that's because Paul's ambition wasn't just Paul's ambition. So as we saw way back in chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul was an apostle and a slave of Christ Jesus. His ambition, you see, was Jesus Christ's ambition. His priorities were Jesus Christ's priorities. He was a slave of Jesus. He was just doing Jesus' job. Paul had, um, had his life bought by Jesus it wasn't his own anymore and so he now brought his life his plans his ambition in line with Jesus Christ's plans for the world and that's why he could write this it would be outrageous of Paul to expect the Christians in Rome to be about this thing if it was just his thing but you see it isn't it is Jesus's thing And our task, every church and every Christian's task, is to bring our lives in line with what Jesus is doing in his world. And so here in chapter 15 and verse 24, Paul wants the Christians in Rome to assist him in his plan now to preach the gospel to those who've never heard in Spain. Now the word assist in chapter 15 verse 24 is a a technical term for missionary support. And we've already looked at this, but I think it's worth repeating. It means three things. It means financial support. Paul wants the church in Rome to give money to fund his trip to Spain. Second, the word assist means a company or escort. So Paul wants people from Rome to go with him to Spain. And third, you see in chapter 15, verse 31, that he wants the church in Rome to pray for him, praying that he won't be stopped in his tracks. So Paul wants money, people, and prayer that he can do this gospel ministry. Or if you want three Ps, pounds, people, and prayer. All church planting endeavours needs those three things. 
Our vision to, church, to, to plant churches, to train leaders and to grow forwards takes pounds, people and prayer. Every time we've planted a church, it has cost us pounds. People have gone on their church plants, on these church plants, and it's cost us because we miss them and their ministry among us, but it's also cost us because they've taken their giving with them. In the last few years, tens of thousands of pounds have left this church. When we planted our first church plant, the people who went, 50 people, were giving 40,000 pounds a year. And they went, rightly taking their money. But the work here continues. We've still got all the same overheads. Just £40,000 and 50 people less. We need to keep building up this church numerically and spiritually. That's part of our vision. And not least of all, so that we can plant the next church. That costs money. The same is true when we train leaders. It costs money to train people. It's worth it, but it costs and then when they leave us and they go to be ordained or they go to theological college or if, particularly if they're going abroad, it costs us to train them further and it costs us to support them. But look, Paul wrote Romans to motivate the Christians in Rome to give him financial support because the gospel, which is what this book is all about, should motivate us to give. As we've seen in the last few weeks through chapters one to three, all people are in dire straits. They face God's wrath. What greater motivation do you need than to look into the eyes of people you love who don't know Jesus or to look into the eyes of your colleagues and your friends and your neighbours and they don't know Jesus? What greater motivation do you need? And when we see that clearly, we'll want to give money to gospel ministry. And we'll want to be involved in evangelism ourselves. And it's brilliant that I know that before me are loads of people who do want to. See, it's the gospel which motivates people to go on church plants and to do personal evangelism. This is remarkable. Paul expected people to go to Spain. Sometimes we don't really think about that, do we? We read the Bible sort of so quickly, we don't really think about what that meant. What a cost to move from Rome to Spain. These were real people with real lives. They're not just sort of names on a page. Well, there aren't any names, but they're not just names on a page. With real relationships, real jobs in Rome, being asked to uproot and go to Spain. No small thing. Oh, last week we had a living example of this. We should have had them up this week, really. We prayed for Ed, Mitchell and Louise Pettinger as they are about to move from here to uh, the village of Kilnhurst to support the excellent ministry that's already going on at St Thomas's Church in that village. But what an example Ed and Louise are to us, moving home, leaving the church family they love, to assist in gospel ministry elsewhere. That's costly. That's what this is about. Pounds and people and, and then briefly prayer. In verses 30 and 31, Paul asked the Christians in Rome to pray for him, to pray that his gospel plans may not be stopped. Will you pray? Keep urging me to pray. I'm such a rubbish prayer. Not a great example, am I? I know I should do it more. Will you keep asking me if I'm saying my prayers and saying my prayers about this and will you join me? Unless we pray as a church family, this great ambition to transform the city and influence the nation will come to nothing because we'll be doing it all in our own strength. 
Can I ask you as a church family to make our church family prayer meeting a priority? It's interesting. When I first came here eight years ago, I said to people, uh, second most important meeting of the, of the week after the meeting together like this is to come to the, uh, to the church family prayer meeting once a month. And the prayer number and the numbers rocketed and now they've gradually been dwindling. And it worries me. And I don't know what else to say except that I'm concerned that people who are committed to Jesus Christ and committed to this church don't ever come to the church family prayer meeting. Some of you have good reasons. You can't come. Would you come and pray? It would be great, wouldn't it, to get to the end of our lives and think, we we gave it a really good go. We gave our money, we gave our effort, we gave our praying. And look what happened in Sheffield. It would be kind of sad if we got to the end of our lives and we said, didn't really do any of that. Didn't really bother with the praying. Let's plead with our God to do mighty things among us. In wrapping up then, Paul's ambition shaped his plans and priorities. And because Paul's ambition was Christ's ambition, Paul expected it to shape the plans and priorities of all Christians, even Christians he'd never met. And so he appealed for money and people and prayer. Now on this vision setting day, I want to encourage you to join us in our threefold vision to plant churches, to train leaders and to grow forward so that the gospel may be preached where Christ is not yet known. Wherever that means, but first of all, Fulwood, Sheffield, Yorkshire, Britain, the world. And you can do that by praying, by being a person who gives yourself in service to this vision. But unashamedly today, we're asking you to give money to this work. To give what you can, whatever you can. If it's just a little, give it. If you can give more, give it. Be motivated by the gospel. Remember, there is no other way for people to be saved from the wrath of God. Let's pray together. I'm going to leave a moment of silence for you to make your own response because if you're like me, You can hear something that moves you and then Monday morning comes and you don't feel so moved. So make your own response to the Lord now. Maybe not rashly telling him you're going to do something you haven't thought through yet but just asking him to cement what you've heard and how you're feeling and saying something appropriate to him yourself. Our Father, thank you very much that we as a church family can be uh, encouragers to one another. Thank you that we're not in this on our own. Uh, Thank you very much that you have made us remarkably partners with you in the gospel. And we would ask you please to help us when all these other competing desires come flooding into our lives to help us to see what the priority is. Help us to spur each other on. Help us please to have the the clear vision of the book of Romans in front of us. Not just to have believed it intellectually, but for it to affect our hearts that men and women without the Lord Jesus Christ are drifting to a dark eternity. 
may we believe that so that it changes the way we are and live. And may all of that then be to your praise and glory. Amen.